It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey guys, Gronk here, calling a 30-second hair huddle. When it comes to tackling hair loss, Hims has you covered. From clinically proven regrowth treatments to thickening shampoo and conditioner. Just go to 4 for a free consultation. Then a licensed medical provider can help you with your game plan. If prescribed, Hims ships directly to your door. Get your hair back in the game with Hims. Try today and get a 90-day money-back guarantee at 4 Just go to 4 slash NFL. That's 4 slash NFL. Restrictions apply. See website for full details and important safety information. You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. It is time. It is time. I feel like we can run the table. We're going to do it. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation. I cover the NFL around the internet. And you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. You can find all of our content on Facebook. You can find us on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Play. Subscribe, leave a review. We will be there for you when you get back. Go do it right now. Um, we have a lot to get to today on Crossover Wednesday with the Green Bay Packers, um, and we have our, our Locked On Dolphins brethren here to, to give us an, an overview of an uncommon opponent, a team that the Packers don't see very often, and, and a team that was the victim of one of the, the more famous Rodgers plays in his career, the famous fake spike to Devontae Adams, who was a rookie. He gets out of bounds, and and Rodgers wins the game as time expires. You may also remember the 2010 game where Brandon Marshall was absolutely uncoverable, abused, a really beat-up Packers team at home early on in that 2010 campaign um, for the for the sake of the Packers and for the sake of the fans. Uh, let's hope there is not a repeat performance of that this week. Before we get to that, though, there's a lot to discuss. Number one, the Geronimo Allison injury is even more serious than originally feared. We originally thought four to six weeks. Now it turns out this surgery is going gonna, is gonna to keep him out basically the rest of the season with uh, him going on IR. That means a couple things. Number one, Marquez Valdez-Scantling is going to be the guy on the outside. And I think that is a good thing for the sake of the speed of this offense. And it, it seems clear Aaron Rodgers trusts him to be in the right place. On some critical third downs, Aaron Rodgers looked to Marquez Valdez-Scantling to make a play. Not Randall Cobb, not Devontae Adams. This was on Sunday against the Patriots in a game that they felt like they had to win. He is looking to Marquez Valdez-Scantling. That shows the kind of faith that he has in MVS to make those plays. It will also open up opportunities for Equinemius St. Brown, who is going to be competing with Geronimo Allison, you assume, at the at the end of the year potentially, but then into next season for whatever that other spot is at receiver because we don't know what the future is of Randall Cobb. I think there's a, a chance that what we'll see is EQ in the slot next season, which I think would be pretty fun with Jimmy Graham and and to have those two big slot receivers, Devontae Adams on the outside, Marquez Valdez-Scantling. I think that would create all sorts of problems for opposing defenses 
It would be um, an ultra-athletic, ultra-talented group of skill players for the Packers, and I think that is what we're going to be seeing. He's going to get an early chance to audition for that role, and I know that Aaron Rodgers has talked about the the growth that he's seen and the faith that he has in EQ to be in the right places at the right time. Uh, Unfortunately, Aaron Rodgers just didn't play well on Sunday and missed some throws, and he was upset with some things from EQ and, and some of the other receivers, but... He needs to he needs to look in the mirror on this because he has not played well. Um, really, he has not played up to Aaron Rodgers' standards all season, and and we can talk about the injury. But he was as healthy as he's been all year on Sunday, and just looked out of sorts, out of sync. And I don't know, you know, Allison going down doesn't change that. If anything, it exacerbates the problems that already exist here with the fact that. Aaron Rodgers doesn't seem to want to play within the confines of this offense, doesn't seem to to trust the play calls. And frankly, I don't blame him because the scheme, you know, I mentioned this on Twitter yesterday, the scheme isn't the problem. It's the execution of the scheme and it's the play calls. So that seems contradictory, right? The scheme is fine, but the play calls aren't. Well, it's not just the design of a play that matters. It's when you call it, it's where you call it, and it's who's in the game for you to call it. And this is a this is a deployment of personnel problem, and it's also a coaching problem because the fact that the Packers aren't executing at the level that they ought to be speaks to a coaching problem as much as it does a player's problem. You need to put your players in the best position for them to succeed. You need to be coaching them on these points. You need to have them prepared for every eventuality. And if you're going to play so many young players, and Green Bay has always done that, then you need to be great in the classroom. And I'm not saying that they aren't. I'm just saying that we're not seeing the results of that work, assuming that work is going on. And I do assume that that work is going on. So this is a big opportunity for Marquez Valdez-Scantling to sort of take the bull by the horns with the number two receiver job next season up for grabs. I mean, he can go take it. EQ can go take number three. And and Green Bay could have a very talented group of receivers. This is potentially critical snaps and playing time for these two players because they, you assume, are going to play a large role on this team moving forward. The other big news on Tuesday was Jermaine Whitehead was released. It's just straight up, you're no longer on the team. And this is this is a surprising move given that the Packers already traded HaHa Clinton Dix and Tremont Williams is playing out of position there. But I think this speaks to both an on-the-field and and the intangible issue of this team right now. And I think this is, although Brian Gutekunst said he's not sending a message with any trades or or personnel moves, it's hard to not feel like undisciplined play, selfish play, is not going to be tolerated on this team. And what we saw from Jermaine Whitehead over the course of this season and going back to last season was a player who, in spots, could be a useful player. And he, he shows some some dexterity blitz, blitzing from the slot and coming up and making plays. But when he needed to be a full-time safety, when Kentrell Bryce was, was out of the game and Whitehead was getting the lion's share of snaps against the Rams, the Rams absolutely destroyed Whitehead and constantly got him out of position. He was to blame on two of the touchdowns in the second half. And Green Bay just... They realized, I think, that they they couldn't keep living with him as a full-time player. 
I think it also speaks to what Josh Jones did against the Patriots. He showed some nice things on special teams the last few weeks. He seemed to be invigorated by some of the own his own comments about his playing time and, and what his role was on this team. And he took it as a motivation. He was motivated to go out and play well on special teams and then played well when he got the chance to be a part of this defense. Had a really nice double-edge pressure on a, on a blitz with, with Clay Matthews. Made some nice tackles in the open field. He was a player last year who was always around the action, just always maybe a half second late. And I just felt like that was a rookie issue where he's processing just a little bit slower. I think a Tremont Williams-Josh Jones, where it's very clear who does what well, could really simplify things for Mike Patton in terms of how he deploys these players. But I don't think it necessarily means, oh, well, we're always going to see Tremont Williams as the single high and always going to see Josh Jones in the box. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think Josh Jones can play de facto linebacker. I think he can play on the edge and be a blitzer. That was where he really shined against the Bengals with his speed and his, his agility. And I think you're going to see him in coverage. This is a week when when the the Dolphins are going to want to get Mike Kosicki involved, when they're going to want to get Kenyon Drake involved in the passing game. And so the Packers are going to have to have a coverage player who can handle that. And Oren Burks was not up to the task on Sunday against the Patriots. They were, it was pretty clear that, that New England was targeting him at times, especially on that first drive. This is an adjustment for him. And, and these snaps are, again, instructive and essential for his development because he's going to be around this team for a long time. He's going to be a player on this team for a long time. And so they have to get him up to speed. And, and this is something that I brought up yesterday. Even if this team is not a Super Bowl contender, and right now it doesn't look like one, there are still jobs to be won. And there are still positions to be ironed out. And there's still playing time to be earned here. And that can matter and and be a huge component for how this team builds moving forward. If Marquez Valdez-Scantling can step up and become a legitimate number two receiver, if EQ can can come forward and, and also challenge for that number two receiver spot, if Josh Jones can become the player Green Bay thought they were drafting when they took him in the second round two years ago, that is huge for how they build this roster moving forward. If Oren Burks can develop that is huge for how this roster develops moving forward. So there, there is still so much on the line here. I, I don't want anyone to lose interest or lose focus. And remember, it's just one game under 500 in, in terms of win-loss. If Green Bay comes back to 4-4-1, they are very much still right in the thick of the NFC playoff race, of the NFC North. And they're still, you know, how many teams? I, I keep saying this, the Rams... And the Saints are the teams that that look like the two best in the NFC. After that, it's really anyone's guess. And the Green Bay Packers are absolutely in position as a talent group to challenge for the NFC. They have the talent to do it. They just haven't coalesced. They haven't executed at the level that we think their physical abilities say they're capable of. But I've said it so many times to call a team talented to talk about their potential. Talent is unrealized potential. And until they realize it, we can't call them a good and especially not a great team because they're not. Right now, they're just talented, which is to say they're not very good. Now, on the other hand, they are big favorites at home on Sunday against the Miami Dolphins. And if you 
want to put down some money, if you think you have an angle on Packers Dolphins on Sunday, you should be betting at my bookie. Ever since I started this podcast, people have been asking me for advice. And you've you've learned if you've been listening over the course of this season, my advice is is not always the best, especially when it comes to gambling. But if you think you know who's going to win, go to my bookie. They've been in business for years. They've got great online reviews and their mobile site is easy to use. They have live in-game betting, over-unders on fantasy points scored, and the most rewarding player perks in the business. The problem right now is my bookie is so popular, they're slammed with new bettors and they want to give you the best customer service possible. So they're going to pay you. That's right. They're going to pay you to make a deposit after 7 p.m. Eastern time. If you do that and you deposit over $100, they'll give you an additional $25 in free play. Join now and MyBookie will match your first deposit dollar for dollar when you use the promo code LOCKEDON25. That's LOCKEDON25 and they'll match your first deposit dollar for dollar up to $1,000. And if you make that deposit after 7 p.m., They'll also throw in an extra $25 in free play because at my bookie, you play, you win, you get paid. Hey, listen up, FanDuel Fantasy players. Your day is about to get 20% better. This is Vinny Iyer, host of Lockdown Fantasy Football here on the Lockdown Network, and I have an offer for you. Start playing fantasy this football season, and FanDuel will give you a 20% bonus on your first deposit. That's up to $500. That's a big-time bonus, and all you need to do to claim it is to make your first deposit on FanDuel. I love the fantasy contests they have on FanDuel. So many different ways to play, cash games, tournaments. I like to challenge myself there Take my fantasy football knowledge to the next level. Many different types of game formats you can pick from. Main slate, single game, best ball, snake draft, and you can even play private contests with your friends. There's an awesome slate of games on hand every single week. You can get the players that you don't have in your redraft leagues into your lineup. Try to get that big time return on investment. Every week is a new chance for you to win big at FanDuel, and that's what I love about it. Experience season-long wins without the season-long wait. Sign up today at FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to claim your bonus and start playing today. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Agent location restrictions apply. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires after 30 days. All right, let's get to Crossover Wednesday. Let's get a little bit of insight on the Miami Dolphins, an unfamiliar opponent for the Green Bay Packers. He is Travis Wingfield. You can follow him on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. He is a podcaster, writer, and page manager for Locked on Dolphins, where he does a ton of work, daily writing, breakdowns, and film reviews. You can follow the that podcast at Locked on Fins. All of their stuff is at LockedOnDolphins.com. Travis, thanks for joining Locked on Packers. Yeah, anytime. It's always good to have these Crossover Wednesday podcasts. We get a lot of information, and that's what I'm here for. Yeah, and it's it's particularly good on a week like this one uh, with, with the Miami Dolphins, a very unfamiliar opponent for the Green Bay Packers. And for for Packer fans in particular, they're they're thinking back to the Dolphins game in 2010, a season in which Green Bay ended up winning the Super Bowl when when Brandon Marshall was uncoverable when the Dolphins won at Lambeau. The, the Packer fans are are also hoping that there is not a repeat performance of that, but that maybe they can capture some of that magic and and make a run here at the end of the season. But from your standpoint, this is this has been a pretty wild up and down season for the Miami Dolphins. So just give me a 30,000 foot view of your assessment of where this team is as we stand here in November. 
Yeah, that 2010 game was a lot of fun for Dolphins fans. That was kind of Cameron Wake's coming out party. And now here he is eight years later still playing at a very high level. But as far as the Dolphins in modern day terms go, it's it's the same case it's been for all three years under Adam Gase. Awfully banged up, the backup quarterback in, woeful ranks on offense and defense. Yet here they are still finding a way to win games. And really to the surprise of everybody, they're over 500 and two games up on the Packers in the win column. I don't think there's a person in the football universe that would have predicted that at this point of the season. So very strange year. Once again, Peter, it's, it's really tough to explain how they've gotten to this point to be perfectly honest. Yeah. And, and when you look at their team and their roster and the way that their, their personnel has been deployed over the course of the season, I think a lot of people nationally are wondering about the Kenyon Drake versus Frank Gore situation. They're wondering what, what is really going on with Devonte Parker, so, you know, try and answer some of those questions for me and, and my listeners, because I'm sure they're wondering those same things. If I had the answer for you, I would fax it to Adam Gaze <laughs> and have him employ these tactics that I'm, I've been insisting on all year. It seems like Frank Gore got 20 carries on Sunday and Kenyon Drake had three. Now, I know Drake is more involved in the passing game than Gore ever will be, but that discrepancy has really rubbed Dolphins fans the wrong way all year long because Kenyon Drake is a big play guy. And in an offense that can't really run block at all up the middle, you would hope that you would have a running back who can break some tackles and make the big play happen. But that hasn't been the case. As far as Devontae, Parker I've been kind of against Devontae Parker since for a while now since he really disappointed us year in and year out through the first three years of his career and now it's strange because you have him one week as a healthy scratch a game day inactive and then the next week after the Houston game he just took the most reps of all Dolphins receivers on Sunday so I'm not really sure where Adam Gaze's headspace is there I think every Dolphins fan wants to see more of Kenyon Drake as well as more of Kenyon uh, Jakeem Grant in place of the injured Albert Wilson yet here we are going back to Devontae Parker Frank Gore Danny Amendola some guys that really don't have the explosion in their game like some of the others do yeah, and Adam Gase was a coach that I think came to Miami with with a lot of excitement. I know a lot of people, myself included, thought that that was a, a really good move. I think, and or at least I thought a couple of years ago, Adam Gase was a really smart, innovative, innovative offensive coach. We saw what he was able to do with Jay Cutler in Chicago, and then you and and your fans and listeners had to had to struggle through Jay Cutler last year. <laughs> um, but where are you right now with Adam Gase and and the way that not only he deployed employs his offense but the way that he is you know the CEO of this program yeah the first year of me doing the Lockdown Dolphins podcast was all Jay Cutler so I was really looking forward to 2018 and now here we are with Brock Osweiler <laughs> but you know as far as Adam Gaze goes it, it seems like right now he might have too much on his plate and I know that sounds kind of crazy to say about a head coach but it feels like his play calling and management of the team are kind of clashing right now because I don't know if you saw the story regarding Rashad Jones only playing 10 snaps on Sunday despite being healthy. He had an issue with the defensive staff and Adam Gaze wasn't privy to that disagreement or that miscommunication between defensive coordinator Matt Burke and your star player, your best player really, in Rashad Jones. So I think he kind of has to be a little bit more introspective, step back and see the bigger picture and find out what's going on with this football team because there are ailments all over the place, whether it's pass protection, whether it was a three-week stretch of giving up touchdowns, basically 
75% of the time when the defense came on the field. And then his offense, like I mentioned, has been in the bottom tier of the NFL since he took over that big chair in Miami. So I think that maybe he just has kind of overloaded his own day-to-day tasks in terms of taking on too much and needs to have more of a, like you mentioned, a CEO, a bigger picture type of mind frame when it comes to this team because right now they're coming up way too short in way too many areas and especially the areas he's supposed to be a specialist in yeah i wanted to ask you about the rashad jones uh situation because i think he's one of the most underrated players in the league uh, I, I think he can do so much for a defense. And then, you know, they drafted Minka Fitzpatrick, who has that same sort of versatility. They've overhauled this linebacking group with Jerome Baker and Raekwon McMillan, Kiko Alonso, with a lot more athleticism. And, you know, I'm, I'm not sure casual football fans or non-AFC East fans know how good Xavier Howard is. Um, but this defense has at times looked great. And as you mentioned, at times looked not so great. Uh, what 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 are your your feelings right now of of where this team is defensively and where they can get to because it seems like they've got a lot of good young pieces. Yeah, first off, I'm pretty impressed by your knowledge of some of these lesser known Dolphins players because, <laughs> like you mentioned, Xavier Howard is not a household name, but he is playing like one of the premier cover corners in the NFL right now, and he's been doing it year you know game in and game out all year long. As far as the safety tandem, I think where things really kind of got convoluted there was the fact that Rashad Jones and TJ McDonald are kind of a similar player in what they both Mm. do well and what they don't do well. And Minka Fitzpatrick is the opposite of that. He is a rangy, more instinctive type of player that can cover sideline to sideline and play more of a deep center field, whereas McDonald and Jones want to come down to the box and support the run game. So they've been playing Jones and McDonald and kind of just getting stuck in the same pattern of being left vulnerable on the back end of the coverage and this week we went back with more Fitzpatrick and McDonald as Jones was out of the game so that seemed to have a bigger impact but I think the reason the Dolphins had so much success in this last game with the four interceptions and no touchdowns allowed was just because Sam Darnold isn't quite there yet it was a pretty basic zone concepts or zone coverage scheme the Dolphins employed and they really there was windows there for Darnold but he just didn't see him and when he did see him he was too late and threw the ball into coverage and got picked off so you know as far as the staff goes I think a lot of Dolphins fans are kind of turning on Matt Burke if they haven't already so he has you know about seven games here to get his job you know to keep his job in secure for going into 2019. You mentioned those zone concepts. Um, Devontae Adams has been a player over the course of the season who has faced and and gotten the better of basically the who's who of cover corners in the NFL from Xavier Rhodes to Trey White, uh, Josh Norman, and and the list goes on and on. Um, if, if Miami is going to play zone against Aaron Rodgers in this offense – that means we're, we're likely not going to see Howard matched on Adams. So if you're the Green Bay Packers and you're creating a game plan for this Miami defense, how are you going to attack it? Yeah, so they actually have done a lot of stuff with hybrid coverages in terms of being both zone and man team. And when they've ran into these premier receivers like Devontae Adams, you know, A.J. Green, DeAndre Hopkins, they actually did go with more of a Meg coverage, man everywhere he goes. And Howard takes that man responsibility and the rest of the defense kind of morphs into his zone hybrid around that coverage. So I expect we'll see some more of the same there. But then from there, it's the same instance every single week against this defense. Attack the linebackers in pass coverage, specifically Kiko Alonso. So whether it's a tight end or a running back, you can really stretch the Dolphins out with some play action. If you go 12 personnel, get two tight ends on the field. Miami loves to commit to their run keys and get their linebackers flowing upfield. And then from there, if it's a three-man route combination, they're already outflanked. So a lot of teams have taken advantage of that. 
The Jets tried it, but because they just aren't that good on offense, mm-hmm. they weren't able to succeed. So I expect to see the Packers do the same thing teams have been doing to this defense for years now, go after the running backs and the tight ends. And and flipping that around, if you are going to put together, you know, get in, get in the – the, the booth with Mike Patton, how are you going to try and slow down this Miami Dolphins offense? Overload the interior offensive line with pressure looks all game long. The Jets showed double-A gap pressure all game, and they brought it a lot. And they also brought Jamal Adams down into the box to kind of blitz off the edge to Osweiler too because Osweiler really has no capability of going up top over the top of the defense. He tried one pass to a wide-open Danny Amendola and sailed it by about 10 yards. So if you can really commit pressure to the interior part of the offensive line, the Dolphins are down Josh Sitton, who you guys know very well, Mm -hmm. played very well in his one game. And then their center, Dan Kilgore, who wasn't playing super, super well at the center position, he's out as well with a season-ending injury. And Travis Swanson and Ted Larson, their backups, have just not been good, to put it politely. So attack the interior offensive line of the Miami Dolphins. Well, fortunately for Green Bay, they have one of the best one-two combinations on the interior in terms of pass rushers with Mike Daniels and Kenny Clark. And Mike Patton loves to show a double-A gap pressure. So uh, <laughs> <Yay. laughs> as, you were, as you were lining that up, I was like, well, this seems, this seems pretty easy. I guess I, I know what the Packers are going to do on Sunday. Uh, w- one big picture question, not necessarily related to what we're going to see on the field at Lambeau, uh, Ryan Tannehill. I think he has wildly varying degrees of of fans and critics. And it seems like very few quarterbacks in the league have such, you know, wild swings of opinion on his quality of play. Uh, What, you know, regardless of sort of where you fall on that spectrum, where do you think the Dolphins fall and and what kind of decisions are they going to have to make this offseason with him? Yeah, definitely. And the fact that he's the most polarizing figure in the last 20 years for this organization kind of tells the story about what this organization (laughs) has been, right? A very mediocre seven, eight, nine win team just about every single year. And that's kind of what Ryan Tannehill has been with flashes of brilliance and also the flashes of, okay, this guy can't get it done at this level. And I think the thing that will really prevent Tannehill from being their guy going forward is just the medical concern because, you know, 2016, he played really well that year in the scheme of the offense with Adam Gage for the first time. And we kind of saw growth throughout the course of that year. And we projected that growth into 2018. And he started off okay, not great. Then he had that collapse against New England, played poorly against Cincinnati. And then the shoulder injury happens. And here we are, you know, five games later with Brock Osweiler, and he's still not healthy, still not right. I don't think he'll play on Sunday, by the way. But as far as his future in Miami, I mean, they owe him like $26 million next year, and I'm not really that well-versed on the financial aspect of it, but I think they can find a way to get out of it if they want to. But the problem is, is the quarterback market this offseason is so bleak and so thin that you might just be best served going back into 2019 with Ryan Tannehill and then maybe trying to see if you can attack the 2020 draft class if he doesn't pan out that way. But I think that Adam Gaze is a fan of Ryan Tannehill, and he also is a fan of guys that know his scheme, and he's been working on Tannehill for three years now. So I'd be surprised if he just threw him aside right away unless there was a clear and obvious upgrade available. Nothing screams, I'm a huge fan of guys who know my scheme than pulling Jay Cutler out of retirement <laughs> to try and run your offense. So I, I think that's a, that, that one is, is clear and obvious. I don't think you need to be inside Adam Gase's head to, to have an understanding of that one. Uh, give, do me a favor and let uh, my listeners know where they can find more of the work that you do. Yeah, absolutely. LockedOnDolphins.com. I I write daily on the site there, whether it's video breakdowns or just analytics and everything about this team. Also, the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I've been found on Palm Beach Post as well as FanRagSports.com.
Terrific. Thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. No problem. Thanks a lot. David Harrison here, the Locked on Washington football team podcast, celebrating with you a 21 grain salute to a less boring sandwich. Thanks to Dave's killer bread. I don't know about you guys, but when I eat pizza, I eat it for the toppings, not the crust. And when I eat a sandwich, it's for what's inside the bread, not for the bread. But when I throw a sandwich on 21 whole grains and seeds, thin sliced bread from Dave's Killer Bread, it is the epitome of addition by subtraction. That thin sliced bread lets me focus on what's inside the sandwich, but also adds to the sandwich with killer taste, killer texture, killer nutrition, a subtle sweetness, and a seed coated crust. Dave's Killer Bread is America's number one organic bread for a reason it tastes so stinking good dave's killer bread is made with the highest quality organic and non-gmo ingredients and is power packed with whole grains fiber and protein visit daveskillerbread.com to learn more and look for dave's killer bread in the bread aisle of your local grocery store this episode is brought to you by phillips one by sonicare one up your brushing with phillips one this one is the ideal one for those who are still using an old-school manual toothbrush. To all those people, it's time to take your brushing one level up. The solution is a simple one. It's the perfect timing one. It's the long-lasting battery-powered or USB rechargeable one. That comes in multiple colors to match you one. The one with a subscription that delivers new brush heads for just $5. Your teeth deserve this one. Philips One by Sonicare. One up your brushing. Learn more at philips.com slash one. That's P-H-I-L-I-P-S dot com slash O-N-E. All right, I want to thank Travis again for joining the show. Uh, really smart guy, really puts in the work, studies the film, uh, breaks it down. So it was it was good to have him on and 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 really dig into uh, what this team is and and who they are right now because it's a it's been a high variance team as I said and and you don't really know week to week what you're gonna get. Um, I, I think this is a this is clearly a game Green Bay should win. It's a game that I think uh, offensively they can do some things and defensively they should they should have no problem with Brock Osweiler. Uh, this is not a Dom Capers defense. Remember. Um, they can get after him. I think Mike Pettin is going to have a really good plan for him. And and I do just want to say, as an aside here with Mike Pettin, there are a lot of conversations already being had about potential replacements for Mike McCarthy. And I understand that, and, and I think they're warranted. I mean, I wrote yesterday for Acme Packing Company. I thought, basically, the die is cast with McCarthy. And, and nothing, as I said on the podcast— what could we really see to change our minds at this point about the quality or at least the the readiness of him as a coach and, and the readiness that Packer fans have for him to be done as the coach? Uh, but Mike Patton is a really smart coach. And I think there are a lot of fans and, and media people and analysts who believe that this defense would benefit from from continuing to have Mike Patton. And I do think there are potential situations. John DeFilippo coached with Mike Patton when Mike Patton was the head coach in Cleveland. And Lincoln Riley could come to the NFL, much like Sean McVay, and say, what I need is a veteran defensive presence, a veteran defensive coordinator to run my defense because I'm going to run the offense. That could be Mike Patton. And, and if a coach like Riley or whomever comes in and decides – continuity is important to me, especially on defense, then then Petten could and should be given the opportunity to 
remain as defensive coordinator because I think the growth that this team has shown, the young players especially, is remarkable. And I, I don't think the Packers should want to throw that away, but we'll see. Uh, there's still a lot to be decided. So we'll get back tomorrow with the scouting report for the Miami Dolphins. We'll, we'll dig into a team that I that I think a lot of fans are, are not that familiar with. It would be uh, easy to assume that you haven't watched a lot of a Brock Osweiler-led team, and, and I wouldn't blame you for that. So uh, we're going to get into this team uh, in depth on Thursday, and then we'll deal with the injuries on Friday, whatever those are. Uh, we already know uh, what the situation is with Geronimo Allison. So a-, a lot to talk about still the rest of the week. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Packers. Like us on Facebook. Leave a review on iTunes. Un- subscribe on Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. Let other people know that you are enjoying the podcast so they can enjoy the podcast. And if you ever... Want to hit us up at the Locked On Packers fan hotline? You can do that at 920-341-3775 to let us know how you are staying Locked On Packers.